What is up, Northridge Church? Hope everybody's doing well. Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you help me welcome our campuses online and at Webster? Come on. Woo. Yeah, it's great to have you. If you're watching on the CW or you are on our online campus, man, welcome to you. Those of you at our in-person at Webster or Rochester, uh, it's, we're grateful to have you, honored to have you, and welcome home to everybody. We mean that. And to all of our regular attenders, or your first-time guests, man, welcome home and welcome to Northridge Church. And, you know, I, I know you've heard this before, but over the last year and a half, we've We've navigated some pretty intense and turbulent and trying waters. It's been a crazy and, and wild season, and it's chaotic and it's crazy. And through this season that we've had to navigate, a lot of our attention has gone to the physical, right? Staying healthy, keeping our physical bodies away from a virus, and that was very much needed. But I think in this journey over the last year and a half as we navigated these waters, I think there's been some areas of our lives that have been greatly affected that we, maybe we've just neglected, we've overlooked. Because as I look back at this past year, a major area that's been affected is our minds, Right? Our, our minds, our way of thinking, and what goes into this headspace that we have. And so today, we're going to be talking about it. We're, going to, we're starting a brand new series, and for seven weeks, we're going to be planted where we talk about the mind in this series called The Mind Game. And throughout this series, as, as we talk about the mind, I'm really excited because I think it's going to meet a lot of us right where we're at. It's going to be relevant. I think we're going to resonate with some of the struggles that we've all had to, to wrestle through in our mind throughout the season. And in this series, here's what we're going after. We're going after the battle for and the battle in your mind. And so you can break this series down to really two, two sets of weeks. Weeks one through three is going to be regular battles that you and I face in our minds. Battles that we all have had to wrestle through or will have to wrestle with or will know somebody who has dealt with some of the issues that land in our mind. And so the first three weeks are the battle that we, uh, we regularly have. And weeks four through seven... We're going to be talking about our conscience, a God-given gift to us that helps us win the battle in our minds. And so our minds are, are powerful things, right? Our mind is a, a very, very powerful thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul in our theme verse for this series, look what he says in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So he says, hey, we shouldn't conform to culture's standards or society's standards, but we should be transformed. Well, how are we transformed, he says, by the renewing of your mind. And so these seven weeks that we're going to walk through this series is really designed to do that for us all, to renew our minds so we can be transformed by the truth of God's word. And so the first three weeks are battles that we face in our minds. And today we're going to start maybe with one of the heaviest hitters. It's the issue of depression. I really believe this, that over the last year and a half, 
as we've navigated everything that we've had to navigate, I think everybody has dealt with maybe a small dose or a significant dose of this very issue called depression, where we've had to wrestle with some darkness that seemed to pour over our lives. In fact, let me share some stats with you that, that, that just took place over the last year. The Kaiser Foundation found that one out of every two individuals over the last year dealt with a mental health crisis. 50% of our society, as they navigated the season that we went through, had to wrestle with a mental health crisis. The number is staggering, so let's put some faces and some names to it. Right, in your neighborhood, one out of everybody, one out of every two person that walks down your street throughout this last year dealt with a mental health crisis. You, you might not have seen it. It might not be tangible to you, but it was to them. Right, in your classroom, at your workplace, on your teams, one out of every two individual had a mental health crisis. According to the CDC, one out of every four young adult through this last season seriously thought about taking their life. 25% of the younger generation looked at their life and they said, it's just not worth living. We're not talking about a bad day here. We're not talking about a bad week. We're talking about someone examining their life and finding no worth and no value in it and seriously thinking about taking their life. Guys, depression is real. And many of us had to face it square on throughout this season. And here's what's unique about depression is many of us think this is a new problem. Well, it's not. You can trace it, its roots back thousands of years to people in the Bible who dealt with darkness, who dealt with difficult circumstances, who dealt with depression. And so if you got your Bibles, we're going to find one specific example in Psalms chapter 42. If you got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to go there. So grab your physical Bible or your digital Bible and turn to Psalms chapter 42. Open up the Northridge app. I'd encourage you to take notes today. And, and I, I, I don't do this a lot, but I think this is really a, a really important topic that you will wrestle with. Now. You might be wrestling with it now or you will in the future, or you're going to find somebody who is wrestling and they're going to come to you for hope. And so it's important to have some notes. And so download the Northridge Church app and keep some notes on this topic. And let me just pause here and, and, and help you to understand one thing. My title is pastor. It is not doctor. So I want you to understand the angle I'm going to take when it comes to this topic. I'm going to take the angle that I've been trained in, right? The angle that I went to, to schooling after schooling to come at, and that's the, the source of God's word, right? Here's what I believe to be true. No matter what you struggle with, the first and the best place to start with that struggle is the word of God. Right? I believe it speaks to every nook and cranny of your life. I really believe that, and I know that to be true because I've lived it, and I've found healing right here. But the truth is, is when it comes to depression, I'm not going to ignore the medical side of it. I do believe there is that part. I just can't speak to it, right? It wouldn't be good for you, and it wouldn't be good for me, for me to talk about depression medically, because I would make no sense. But here's the great news. We have a podcast every week where we dive a little bit deeper into the messages. It's released on Tuesday. And I invited Dr. Mark Oldham. He works at Strong. He's a Northridger. He's a genius when it comes to the mind. And he's going to help us get a full picture of depression from the lens of the battle in our mind. And so I'd encourage you to tune in to our podcast this Tuesday. And so Psalms chapter 42, it's really important 
that you understand the context of this song, song before you read the words of it. And so maybe some of you in your Bible, you'll see a heading above this song. It says, a masculine of the sons of Korah. And right, you, you don't get past the heading and you're confused, right? It's like, what in the world is going on here? Well, let me break it down for you. The sons of Korah were priests in this culture, and their job was to lead people in singing. So these sons of Korah were just like the worship directors, the worship pastors of our society. Their job was to lead the congregation, the people in the, the public singing of songs. And a masculine is just a Hebrew word for a song that would teach, a song that would instruct wisdom. And so these words that are written were probably sung in this culture out loud like we sing today. And do you recognize that that's the purpose of singing? Right? We don't sing songs to make our, ourselves feel good, right? We don't sing songs to, you know, get into the beat and get some rhythm. No, we sing songs because we're declaring the truth of God over all of our circumstances in life. That's the point of singing. It's, it's actually teaching us theology. It's teaching us doctrine of who God is and how powerful and mighty he is. And so this masculine is to teach the people through singing about a problem that they had to deal with regularly, it's also written by a guy named David. Most scholars believe David wrote this, and they, they believe he wrote it out of one of two circumstances. They're very similar. The first, some scholars believe it was written out of the place of, of the persecution of King Saul. Okay, So David, as a young boy, he is anointed to be the next king of Israel. Well, the king Saul, who was the present king, was threatened by David being anointed to be the next king, and so he tries to kill him. That's the first circumstance they believe David might have wrote this out. The other one is very similar to that. David is just actually king now, and his son, his son, Absalom, wants his throne, and so he tries to kill his father. And so David is writing these words out of a, a place in his life and circumstances that are full of pain and hurt. And so let's dive in together. Verse 1, it says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And so right from the get-go, we, we see this level of desperation in David. He's longing for God, but yet he seems not be able to find him. And the imagery, I love the imagery of this passage. Maybe you've seen a painting of it, right? And I always laugh when I see paintings of this passage, this first verse, because what you often find is this really nice painting with like beautiful green pastures and a nice beautiful stream and this cute little fawn like just dipping down and drinking water. It's beautiful, but it doesn't actually line up with the imagery that David is, is getting across here. David is talking about a deer in the middle of hunting season that has been shot at numerous times and has been running and running for its life, and it's been running so much that it longs for water, right? David says, I long for God like a deer that's been running for its life over and over again longs for water. That's the imagery that he's getting here. It's not a calm, quiet deer. It's a frantic, panting deer that needs water but can't stop and get any because it's running for its life. And he continues, verse 2, he says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? And so we, we see David's circumstances have, have made him feel disconnected from God. He wonders, where is God? He, he, he feels at this place like God doesn't care about him. He's abandoned him. He's left him on his own. And David gets to this place where it just feels a little bit hopeless. 
Right? And isn't that what depression is? When I talk about depression, here's what I mean. Depression is a lethal absence of hope. It's when the darkness presses into your life, And no matter how hard you try to get out, it just oppresses you. It pushes down. It takes all the light out of your circumstances and your thought process. And as hard as you try to remember the good days, you just seem, you can't seem to do it. In fact, that's what verse 4 is. David trying to remember the good days. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throngs. David, is, he's trying to remember the days where he was happy. The days where he felt joy, where God protect him, but they feel like a distant memory. I try to remember the good times, but the darkness keeps oppressing me. And I would bet that through this season, many of you today you get David's words. You get depression because you've lived it. You've had to wrestle with it over this year and a half where the darkness pressed into your life and it didn't seem to go away. You ask the same questions David is asking. Depression is real to you. You get it. You resonate with what he's saying because that's your life right now. But in verse five, David does something what seems obvious but it's actually very significant. He asks a question. Look what he says. He says, why? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Now, in, in, in the context of reading this, this just makes sense that David says this, right? Verses one through four, just explaining how depressed he is. And then finally he says, why am I this way? Why am I so downcast? What David is, the question David is asking is maybe a question that you're asking. Why am I so depressed? Why can I not get out of the darkness? Why can't I find hope? Where is God and why doesn't he care about me? Why am I like this? And what's interesting about the question David asks is it gives us imagery of how he truly feels. Because the question he asks, he says, why am I so downcast? That word downcast is significant because it has a depth of meaning. Right? None of us walk around and are like, oh, I'm so downcast today. No, we, we say we're depressed, right? But that word gives us imagery to how David feels. Because remember, before David was a king, he was a shepherd. And part of a, a shepherd is just leading you know, sheep. And, and, and every good shepherd would have to lead his sheep from you know, point A to point B. And in that journey, uh, as they would travel, they would often, a shepherd would have to give his, his, his uh, sheep a chance to rest. And after a long journey, when when a sheep would rest, uh, every once in a while, a shepherd would come across what they call a cast sheep, right? Why am I so downcast? Here's a cast sheep. See, they'd be so tired. I know, such a cute little sheep, right? Look at that thing. Bet you never thought you'd see something like this in church, right? But here's here's the reality. This sheep has gotten so comfortable on its back and all fours in the air. But here's the problem with this little sheep. It's going to die. It's actually stuck. Because when a a sheep gets in this position, it it muscles relax so much that it can no longer lean to the right or to the left to get back on its feet. And unless the shepherd comes and moves the sheep, it's stuck and it's going to die. And think about that. David says, why am I so downcast? 
Why am I like a sheep that I found in the field, stuck in the midst of my darkness, and I can't seem to escape? I can't get around it. And man, I would suggest that some of you today feel exactly that way. You're stuck in your darkness, and you have no clue how to get out of it. You've tried to move to the right and to the left, but you stay in the same spot. And what's our natural response to depression, right? What, what do we say to someone who's dealing with the darkness, right? Well, our natural response is like, yo, just get over it. Like, put your bootstraps on and think happy thoughts. And, and once you think happy thoughts, you'll be better. Do you ever occur to you that probably those people have tried to think happy thoughts? <laughs> and we wonder why people stay where they're at. Maybe it's because our response to depression is a little bit ignorant. It's, it lacks understanding of what people are actually going through and what they're battling in their mind. But yet again, don't forget the significance of David's question. He says, why am I this way? Why is God taking me into the darkness? Why am I so downcast? And here's what we have to understand. Here's why this, significant, this question is so significant. Because we can't eliminate our pain without understanding why we feel it. We cannot get over, we can never find the real source of our pain until we get on the level of it and we understand why we're feeling that way. Let me put it to you like this. Right? No one in, in life wants to experience pain. Right? It, it doesn't make sense. We try to avoid pain at all costs. But here's what's crazy, is pain is actually a very good thing. Right? Because what does pain do? Pain is an indicator to us that something is wrong in our body. Right? Pain is a, a signal. It's not the problem. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a cry for help. It's, it's signaling to us, hey, there's an area of your body that needs addressing. But here's the problem. If we often go to just the, the, that place of pain, we might actually just treat the symptom rather than the problem. And this is why David is asking the question, why? Because most people today who deal with depression, they don't ask why, they ask how. How can I get over this? How can I get over the darkness? How can I beat my depression? That's what we ask. Good question. But here's the problem with it. Asking how just confronts the symptoms. When you ask why, you'll get at the real source of the problem. You have to understand your pain and understand where it's coming from and why it exists to really experience healing. If we only ask the question, how do I beat my depression without asking, why am I depressed? We will just keep treating symptoms. We will never experience true healing. Some of you wonder today why depression is an ongoing battle. It's because maybe you've never asked the question. You never really understood why you're depressed. You see, depression is the check engine light of your soul. And when that light comes on, it's usually an indicator that something is wrong. And so David wasn't afraid to ask the question, why am I so downcast? Why? And, but, listen to this, while he was seeking understanding, he didn't just stay there like, oh, why, God? Why? No, he did practical things to help him with the battle in his head. And I want to talk about three that he did while he asked the question, why? The first thing he did was he was real and honest about his struggle. This seems 
So simple, doesn't it? To just be honest. But yet most of us aren't. I don't know why in, in, in society and more importantly in the church, like as Christians, we live our lives pretending that everything is okay when it's usually not. Right? Isn't that what social media is for, right? Like we just get to post our, our perfection, our perfect, beautiful lives. But I'm in ministry because here's what I know. That, that, that although we post picture perfect lives, I know everybody else's life is not that way. We struggle and we battle, but for some reason we've lost transparency and we've lost authenticity. And I think it's killing our influence in the world. Because people believe that in order to come to Jesus, we have to be perfect, and they fail to realize it's because Jesus, his righteousness made us perfect. If we're allowed to just be real and honest, this is what I love about David. You read this passage, he's not sugarcoating anything. He's raw, and he's real, and he's like, guys, I'm struggling. Look at verse 6. He says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and your breakers have swept over me. So again, David expresses, he not only feels spiritually disconnected from God, but physically. These locations are, are far from Jerusalem. And so the presence of God dwelt in the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And so David is not only spiritually disconnected from God, but he's physically disconnected. But through imagery, he actually gives us a sense of what depression feels like. You see, I, I think for a lot of people, maybe you're here today and you've, you've never really experienced depression. I think it's hard to help people who are in the darkness when you've never felt the darkness. But to give you some imagery of, of what depression feels like, I, I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have been swimming before. And we've gone underwater. And here's the reality. When you go underwater, you're going to have to come back up. Right, you're gonna have to breathe. And you get to that point where you, you know like it's time to go to the surface. You, you kind of start to panic. And you're like, I gotta get up there as fast as you can. Well, depression is like this. You feel that feeling where you need air. You go to the surface, you can see the surface, but then it feels like a waterfall is rushing down and pushing you down and pushing you down. Every time you get close to the surface, darkness consumes you and pushes you down. You need air, but you can't seem to get it. That's what depression feels like to people. They want the light. They want hope, but their darkness just consumes them. That's what David is talking about. He's real and he's honest. He doesn't hide his feelings or pretend like he's okay. I mean, people ask us if we're okay all the time. Yeah, I'm great. Life is good. It's perfect. Let's be honest. He's probably falling apart. We've lost transparency and realness in society today, and David had it. And the first part of his healing, I think, was him being real and honest. What I love about David is he was okay not being okay. He was okay admitting his struggle. And can I be honest? This is really hard to do. It's really hard for me to do. I'm a pastor. My life is supposed to be in order. I'm supposed to have everything all together. Like, who wants to follow a pastor or sit under his teaching when his life is messy and ugly and his kids are bad? Like, I, I feel this pressure that my life has to be okay and my kids and my family have to be okay. It's not okay to be okay. And that pressure sits on my shoulders and part of it is just who I am. 
If you don't know anything about me, I'm a positive guy. My glass is always 99% full. And if you ask my wife, what's Drew's favorite phrase? I guarantee you she will answer with this. The good news is, it drives my wife crazy, <laughs> right? Because we can walk through really hard circumstances and, she, and I'm like, babe, 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 don't worry. The good news is, and she's like, Drew, don't give me your good news crap right now, okay? <laughs> and if you were to ask me in 2019, have I ever experienced the darkness, depression, I would have told you no. And then 2020 came, right? And God made me get to the place where David was, where I had to be okay, not being okay. And my journey started in February because I was in Israel filming a series for our church when I got a phone call. You guys probably have heard this story where my brother called me and he said, Drew, dad is dead. And my dad was my best friend. And I lost him in an instant. I didn't get to say goodbye. I didn't even know this would happen. And I was forced into these circumstances where I had to wrestle with emotions and feelings that I've never had to. I had to mourn and grief my dad. And then like two weeks later, COVID happened. And so I'm ripped out of mourning and grieving my dad. And now, as the lead pastor of our church, i got to make decisions for our church that I haven't been trained to make. Right? I promise you, if you go to seminary, there's no course on global pandemics or should you wear a mask or not. <laughs> so day after day, I'm making decisions. And honestly, I'm just praying and hoping I make the right one. And if you've ever led anything, or if you led sheep, you know sometimes they bite. And so constantly through the season, I've gotten emails and social media posts of people telling me how, how much I suck at my job. And I don't say this to make you feel bad for me. I say this because I get how David feels. Because 2020 has been the darkest year of my life. I get the feeling of depression because I lived it. And I read this passage completely different now because I've waded through the waters. And I know many of you have too. I know the season has been incredibly hard for so many people. And you wonder how you're gonna get out of the darkness. And I think the first step is what David shows us. You gotta be real and you gotta be honest about it. I dreaded telling you I hid from the darkness for a while. It's not exciting and it's not fun to be like, yo, I'm hurting and I'm struggling. But I think real and honesty, when we are weak, guess what? God's his strongest in our lives. And what I love about David, here's what I learned about David, is David was okay not being okay, but here's something that I, I saw in him that I needed in my life. David was okay being real and honest. He was okay not being okay, but he didn't want to stay there. Right? Some of you are in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your depression, and you become a victim to it. 
And David wasn't going to be a victim to his depression. He was going to do anything he could to get out of the darkness he was living in. And I come to this conclusion that I got to do the same thing. I can't sit here and not heal. I can't sit here in the darkness and feel bad for myself. I got to fight to get out and I got to fight to find hope. And part of the reason why we're having this conversation is I got to find healing. I do. I've been hurting for too long. And so six months ago, I went to our elders and I just told them that. I was like, guys, I'm, I'm hurting. And I, I recognize as the, the leader of this church, I got to fight through those feelings until we get through to a season where I feel good with where we are as a church. But when that happens, I've got to take a break. I've got to face my grief. I've been pushing it down for far too long. So they call it a sabbatical in the church world. You'll notice for May, June, and a little bit of July, I'll be gone. And I'm going to go talk to a counselor, and I'm going to face my grief head on, and I'm going to catch up with my family where I've lost some time uh, just making decisions and being away and in the office, and I'm going to catch up with my family, and I'm going to take care of my most important ministry, my kids and my wife. And uh, man, I, I want you to know it's okay to not be okay. It, God specializes in taking people who aren't okay and making them better and bringing healing into their life. And the first step David took as he asked the question, why, was, man, I got to be real about my struggle. And the second thing he did while he asked the question why, he was real and he was honest. The second thing he did is he preached to himself the truth over and over and over again. David did not allow his feelings to get in the way of truth. He acknowledged his feelings, but he didn't allow them to define the truth for him. In fact, look at verses 8 through 10. I love this section. He says, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about a mourning oppressed by my enemies? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And there's something unique happening in these, these three verses. Is it, there's contradictions, right? Da what, what's happening here is David's feelings and his circumstances are wrestling with the truth of who God is. Right, David says, the Lord's love directs me. At night, his song is with me. He is my rock. But then he says, where is God? And why has he forgotten me? Those things don't make sense. And what David is doing is he's expressing his feelings. Here's the problem with many of us when we fight depression, is we allow our feelings and our circumstances to dictate to us who God is. And if you do that, your God is not worth following. David wouldn't allow his feelings, his emotion, his circumstances to define his God. Can I tell you the truth? Whether you feel God is present or not, he is. Because the truth is the truth whether you feel it or not. David says to himself, God is my rock. He doesn't change. And so even though I don't feel he's there, I know the truth that he will never leave me or forsake me. His love is surrounding me as I fight this battle. And so he preached to himself the truth over and over and over and over and over. You guys get the picture? And over again. Some of you, we, we, I don't get this, where we get into dark days and we, we, we forget the truth. No, that's when we need the truth the most. 
That's what we got to remind ourselves of who God is, not based off of our feelings or our emotions, but the truth of what God's word says. Preach yourself the truth and don't allow your, your feelings or your circumstances to dictate who God is. Let your God dictate what your circumstances are. Third, and the most important thing David did, is he never lost his real source of hope. Guys, I think we downplay how significant hope really is. Right? What do people do in our society today when they lose hope? They believe their life is not worth living. Right? Maybe you're there today where you have just lost your hope. And can I tell you today, your life is worth living. That there is a God, the God of the universe, and he loves you, and he says you are valuable, and he says your life matters. And if you are struggling, if you're thinking that way, where your hope is diminishing, man, reach out to us. We will be your source of hope. We will fight the battle with you. Do not give up. Because in our culture today, suicide rates are increasing. And what that should tell the church today is people are finding their hope in the wrong place. Right, what does David say? He says it numerous times in this passage. He says, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David directs where our hope belongs. It's not in our circumstances. It's not in our feelings. It's not in, in our lives. It's not in anything that can change. But where our hope belongs is in God Almighty. He's the source of hope that we should all cling to. And here's what I don't get. Here's what I don't understand. I'll be real and frank with you for a second. I don't understand how people in this life go through all the hard circumstances that we face without Jesus. Because in my life, when it was dark, the truth is I never lost hope. Because my hope has never been in what this world offers. My hope has always been in what Jesus accomplished for me on that cross, dying in my place and for my sin and through his resurrection. And that hope can shine, that light can shine through the darkest of my days. Some of you fighting depression without real hope. Let's put it to you like this. I'm 34 years old. And I, thank you, I know I look good for my age. Thank you for saying that. Someone just said, ow, I like that. Come on, let's go. Woo! That'll give me hope right there. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, I always lose it at the 11 o'clock. I love you guys. <laughs> All right, so 34. Back to me being 34 and looking really good while I'm 34. <laughs> let's say I live 50 more years. All right, 50 more years. And let's just say those 50 years are awful. They're terrible. Life actually each day gets worse and worse over the course of 50 years. There is no hope. It doesn't get any better. The worst of circumstances that you can imagine, that's what happens to me. Right? And I'm not saying it wouldn't be dark. I'm not saying that I wouldn't struggle. I'm not saying that, that I would doubt sometimes. But here's the reality. I can guarantee you this. In those 50 years, I would not lose hope because of who Jesus is. Because my Jesus can shine through the darkest of circumstances this life has to bring. And I'm telling you today, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know hope. 
If you haven't submitted your life to Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, you've been clinging to a phony sense of hope because the Bible says when Jesus comes into your life, it it interchanges hope for peace, peace that outlasts understanding, peace that walks through hell and still has hope. Make sense of that. That's Jesus because he's the hope that you cling to. That's what David is saying. He's saying, put your hope in God because he is the source of hope. And yet I get it. I get it, some of you today, you're wrestling and you're battling. You are struggling. And if you are honest, you're in the midst of your darkness and you don't know how to get out. You want hope, but it just seems like it's fading. The darkness is pressing in. And I want to help you. This church wants to help you. And I'll give you four practical steps today. The first one is I met with our counseling team as we were writing this sermon series. And our pastor, Adam Cogden, he's our pastor of counseling. And I said, hey, I want to help people who are struggling all throughout the battles that we face. And so him and his counseling team have come up with resources that will help you in the midst of your darkness. And so if you want that, if you go to IWant.info, there's a big banner there that says Growth Plan Depression. And if you click on that banner, you just give us your name and your email. We will send you resources that our team have been prepping to give you for this series on depression. It will inspire you and hopefully bring hope to you as you wrestle through the darkness. Number two, as you leave here today, you will be handed a designed card. Right, our, our graphics team have worked really hard on designing. And on this card is, is just simple. It's a scripture. And our goal is that you would take this card and you would memorize that, that passage. Because what did David do when he was in terrible circumstances? He preached the truth to himself. And I'm telling you, you can never go wrong hiding God's word in your heart. And so take this card, put it somewhere where you, you, you see it every day and memorize it with your family, with your community group, with your kids. Here's what I know. You can't memorize the scripture we give you if it's laying in the lobby. If I see cards in the lobby, I'm just saying. I told you I'm hurting. You'll be hurting with me. Take the card. If you're watching online, you can download this so you don't have to worry about losing it. You can put it right on your computer, put it on your background. Okay, let's, let's memorize God's word and let's preach the truth to us. Number three, we start a brand new trimester of community groups, right? <laughs> Listen, I'm gonna be, this might sound mean, but if you fight your battles alone, you will lose. And if you choose to fight alone, I won't feel bad for you. I won't because here at Northridge Church, what I love about this church is, yes, we have a lot of people who gather together. We do. But what I love about this church is we are a, gr- a, a, a church of small groups. It's the core of our church, getting you outside of these rows and into circles with people who will fight your battles with you, who will pray for you at your darkest and rejoice with you in your brightest. Why wouldn't you want that? But some of you are neglecting it. You're ignoring it and you're struggling through your battle. And honestly, if you fight alone, I won't feel bad for you because I'm offering you people. It might take three or four groups to find a fit for you, but man, they will save you. They will push you towards the cross. Why would you say no to that? I want that info, community groups. You click that, you give us your information. We'll do the heavy lifting. We'll get you to a group that fits your needs, your family's needs. Don't fight the battle alone. Number four, this happens right now. So our bands are gonna come and they're gonna sing a couple songs. And uh, 
You know, I've always dreamed of leading a church that was more like a hospital than a museum, a place where people who were broken and messed up could come freely and find hope. I've always wanted to lead a church that it was okay not to be okay. And today, if that's you, whether it's depression or you're just struggling in life, you'll notice right now that people are going to be coming at our in-person. They'll be coming up the front and the back and the sides. And if you're watching online, you can reach out to a host for live prayer. These people are coming to pray for you and your struggle. And so as our bands sing songs, if you're struggling, let somebody pray for you. Let somebody fight that battle for you. We'd be honored. We'd love to pray for you. And so would you all stand with me at all of our locations? We're going to stand. We're going to sing the truths of God. We're going to preach the truth to ourselves by singing. But don't let your fear and your anxiety of your struggle keep you from someone praying for you. I get it's not fun to tell people you struggle. But guess what? I just told like thousands of people that I struggle. So a couple hundred won't bother you. You know what I love about this church is as we see you struggle, we won't judge you. We will pray for you. We'll be there for you. And so as our bands sing this song, let us pray for you. It would be our honor. They're going to sing. If you need prayer, there are people all around this auditorium in Webster and online to pray for you. Come get your prayer.